0: Shameless Media. This
1: episode of the Shameless Book Club is brought to you by Audible, the home of storytelling. Download the Audible app and start listening
2: today. And welcome to the Shameless Book Club. This month we read Yellowface by New York Times best-selling author R. F. Kuang. Yellowface is told through the lens of an unreliable narrator, a white author named June Haywood. At the very beginning of the book, she steals the book manuscript of her friend in the industry, Chinese American author Athena Liu, moments after Athena suddenly passes away. June's act of unthinkable deceit kicks off a series of events that see June desperately trying to dodge the truth being exposed. My name is Annabelle Lee. I am a podcast host and producer here at Shameless Media. And today I am joined by its co-founders, my big bosses. (laughs)
0: Oh, McDonald and Michelle Andrews. We love you so much, Annabelle Lee, but you must stop referring to us as your big balses. Especially with the W. I
2: started a few years ago and then I stopped. It's been a while since I've said balses and, and it's back. She's
1: brought it back. Guys, this is also the first episode in our brand new book club feed because the book club
0: got its own little nook. Yeah, it's the first book review episode. Of course, we were doing these for so long in the Shameless Podcast channel. But by now, we're kind of old news, guys. We've already been beaten by a great author interview with Sahani and the author of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, Gabrielle Zevin. And we've already had an episode of Stranger Than Fiction. We are
1: old news, but it's lovely to be in our new home. Yeah, Yeah, I like it here. You guys
2: deserve more book content, so that's what we gave you. And I'm so excited to be kicking off book reviews in this new space with this book because we have been so excited by Yellowface for a very long time. Let's start as we always do with these review episodes. Let's start with a bit of an author intro. Michelle Andrews, I see your notes in this section are quite long, so let's kick things off
0: with you. She is 27 years old. Rebecca F. Huang no. is 27 years old and that fact makes me feel like a loser but so impressed that this book came from the mind of such a young person. She was born in 1996. <laughs> that just looks young oh, to me. Oh my God, she's a year older than me. That yeah, just
2: clicked. Yeah. What have I done? Did you guys
1: know that before you read no, I didn't. I think I was about three quarters of the way through and I did a dumb thing that you should never do when you're reading a book, which was like Google the book or Google the author, because there's always you run the risk of spoilers. Yeah. But that's instead where I found her age and I nearly fell off my chair.
0: Yeah, well, I was also interested to learn that she immigrated to the US when she was four years old with her family. Of course, she grew up in Dallas, Texas. She began writing her first book called Poppy War, which is referred to as a Chinese military fantasy when she was 19 years old, that book was published when she was 22. It was so popular, it became a trilogy. There are now two subsequent books that were added that were published in 2019 and 2020, respectively. Yeah, well,
1: she's got a trilogy and yellow face at the age of 27. She's also a number one New York Times bestselling author, which is absurd. Like, I mean, that's an achievement for anyone in their lifetime. But to do that in your 20s is... Amazing. I fully appreciate it as well, how she wrote three fantasy books and then just like fully pivoted and was like, I'm going to write something different.
0: Well, she actually did three fantasy books, then wrote Babel, which we haven't even touched upon. That was a book about 1830s England and then did Yellow Face. And now she's writing another book, which is, and I want to read this out to you guys because she's called this literary nonsense. It is a fantasy book about two magical PhD students as they travel to hell to rescue the soul of their advisors so they can write their job recommendation letters. I don't know if Rebecca is trolling us <laughs> or if that's actually what she's writing about, but she has said that on the record. That is incredibly funny. <laughs> <laughs>
2: and also what else is impressive is how much she studied and at all very impressive universities on her Wikipedia page, which I think is like a marker of success in itself having a Wikipedia page. <laughs> (laughs) It's also quite lengthy. (laughs) In the Alma Mater section, it's just like place after place. You've got Cambridge, Oxford, Georgetown. She's currently studying at Yale.
1: And I think that's the other thing to note here is that she clearly hasn't just been full-time writing this whole time. She's been studying in the period that we've spoken about where she's released the trilogy, Babel and Yellowface. Like it is a really amazing effort. I read a really good piece in Interview Magazine that actually interviewed her And she said about Yellowface, I don't think it's the kind of book I could have written as a debut novel either because I hadn't worked in a publishing house and it took those five years of frustration, toil and a lot of tears in the publishing industry on the author's side to accumulate the experiences that went into it. Mm. I mean, I I wouldn't, (laughs) this is going to be funny, we've had a little bit to do with publishing houses over the years and I laugh as I'm saying that because I don't in any way. (laughs) I'm embarrassed embarrassed to
0: even be in the same conversation. Exactly, (laughs) it's
1: not that, but I I think as a reader, as I was reading this, I did feel like a lot of the insights were so bang on to even the experience that I've had in the book industry. So I felt like it was very observant in that way. And it makes sense to me that she said, I needed five years to write this because I needed to know what I didn't
0: know. A thousand percent. I was really intrigued. As you said, Annabelle, she's done so much study while releasing these many books at the same time and achieving all this success. And I was thinking, how is that possible? And I think maybe – The answer was unearthed in a profile she did with The Guardian recently. She basically just said she gets super bored and the only thing she does when she's bored is either study or write. She said, (laughs) I get bored really easily. I'm never going to write a project in the same genre twice because there are just too many forms of storytelling that I want to experiment with and not enough years in my life. I love her. When I'm bored, I just flick
2: on Friends again and watch <laughs> episodes I've watched a thousand times already. TikTok, are you I kidding? Was like, I sit on my phone for
0: six hours and burn time. Yeah. <laughs> she is productive upon productive. Now, she also has some really interesting takes on writing outside of your own lived experience. And I wanted to include this from the outset because she obviously writes from the perspective of two different women who are of two different races in this book. On writing The Perspective of Other Races and Other Lived Experiences, she told The Guardian this, we're storytellers and the point of storytelling is, among other things, to imagine outside of your lived experience and empathize with people who are not you and to ideally write truthfully and with compassion a whole range of characters. Otherwise, all we could ever publish are memoirs and autobiographies and nobody wants that. How interesting! You don't hear that perspective a lot. I mean,
1: it's a it's a very layered topic in the publishing industry. So for her to come out and say it like
2: that mm. is actually relatively refreshing in many ways. Yeah. On that same note, I also read that interview magazine interview that you. <laughs> it's a hard <laughs> day to call themselves interview Interview magazine magazine, where they interview people. (laughs) I read that one Zara too and I found this response from Rebecca really, really interesting. I also think it fits into like a reason why I really loved this book, but I thought I'd mention it here. She said when asked about her own experience in the publishing world, I think a lot of writers of colour or marginalised writers in general are struggling with what to do with the process of taking something intensely personal, oftentimes writing about personal trauma, family trauma, a lot of pain that's tied to our identity and turning that into a story that then, because of the nature of publishing, has to be commercialised, commodified and marketed. So many things that are deeply complicated, nuanced, personal and important get turned into these zippy little buzzwords. And that was so clear throughout the book. I found the way Rebecca talked about her own experience being a Chinese woman in this industry really shone through in the book.
0: Yeah, beautiful point. That is such a good point. Guys,
2: let's talk about characters. There is really only (laughs) one main character I wanted to talk about a couple of side characters as well let's of course start with June Haywood zane <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my-
2: song, Haywood.
1: I, I have never read a character like this and I think when I was talking about this book on Shameless that's what I wanted to say in that I've never read such an unlikable character that I've been so drawn to and mm. who I've just wanted to read more about. I found it really interesting Rebecca said in an interview with Elle that when it came to a female lead character, she actually looked to psychological thrillers to ah. find the voice of Junie. I'm just going to call it Junie. Junie. You <laughs> guys call it whatever you want. And she looked to Gone Girl and the Woman in the Window, lots of books with girl in the title to kind of find the voice for this character. And the minute she said that, I thought I can feel that very
0: deeply. Definitely with Gone Girl. Yeah. You can so see that. I adored the experience of reading from June's perspective. I hated her. I thought she was awful. But boy, did I enjoy being in her brain for 300 and however many pages. One thing really struck me, I actually didn't even notice this until maybe the last quarter of the book. And I think this might have been intentional by the author. I didn't realize how tiny June's world actually was. It really struck me at one point to go, This is a woman who has basically been in her apartment this whole time. She doesn't have any friends. She doesn't have a romantic partner. She doesn't even like her own family. She has the worst things to say about everyone in her (laughs) orbit except herself. This is a woman who only likes herself. And that realization, I was like, oh, my God, this person is such a loner because she's so awful.
1: I realized that probably at about the same time when she went back to her mum's house. Yeah. And it became very clear that she hates her mom and doesn't really like her family. And I was like, does she have any friends? Like, this woman is like so depressing yeah. to read. But it also felt really nice because I was like, well, that's what she deserves. Exactly.
2: The thing that I couldn't stop thinking about whenever I read from June's perspective was... I couldn't stop thinking about Rebecca writing June. This is going to be so hard to explain. But the whole time I read her, I was thinking this is a Chinese author writing with all of her experience and her like academia studying Chinese literature, writing from the perspective of a white racist author. and. I found that this line in the Washington Post really summed it up well for me. It read The reader must somehow believe that June is conniving enough to fool the publishing industry, immersed enough in Asian American discourse to know that tankies are bad, stinky lunch stories are tired, and yet also somehow, in the midst of a public literary panel, will make an off colour pun about an Asian last name. Nimbly tripping through her minefield, June becomes not an unreliable narrator, but an unbelievable character. That's what it felt like for me. She didn't feel real. June.
0: Ah, she yeah. feel real. I did say to Zara, I think by the end, I really believed her character. Zara read this book before us, as we said on Shameless Podcast and really loved it and obviously recommended it. The first 20 pages I read, I found June to be so exaggerated, maybe in the way she was, that I did say to Zara, I can't picture someone actually being like this. Like, I'm not sure. I love the book. I love the writing. It's super pacey, super engaging do I believe June is out there in the world? And I said to her, no. But then the longer I went... The more I kind of bought it and the more I saw it. And I think I have examples of public figures even where I'm like, I think you're a bit of a June oh. Hayward slash June song. Yeah. Or Junie, as Zara said. I definitely
1: think she's at the end of a spectrum. I yes. think a good character is always going to be on the end of a spectrum where it is very exaggerated. I think it's also because it's someone's internal monologue and internal monologues aren't always very comfortable to read from anyone. Mm. I did find it believable, but I agree with with you in that it was quite stark the minute you turned into the book like Mm. the first few pages it's like whoa this is a lot and I read this line from the New York Times who reviewed the book who said June's voice has the zippy immersive cadence that's been associated with young adult novels since at least the Hunger Games thought that really nailed it because there actually is a real sort of young adult zippiness Mm. to the narration but it's still so smart
2: yeah, yeah. that kind of ties in with one of the weaknesses I had with this book sorry to jump around all but all it's going crazy, no no, but no I'm going. loving this this book is like largely satire I guess so I understand this could be a stylistic thing but something that took me out of the book personally some things were just so obvious or like to the extreme I feel like maybe things were being told to us so explicitly without the kind of subtlety i find quite powerful in books like some points were over explained when it didn't need to i don't uh, know if that makes any sense yeah that's so interesting
1: i think that people had noticed that rebecca couldn't quite work out how much to say explicitly about the publishing industry because it's hard to know how much people actually know and that maybe she might have given a bit too much obviousness but i didn't really feel it myself
2: yeah maybe that's what i mean by in the character of june it just felt like June was written to be everything at once, like this really what? like kind of intelligent, well-read author, but also racist at the same time. And I'm not saying like well-read people can't also be racist. I'm sure June is the way she is to keep up appearances. I just felt this major clash, I guess, in her blatant microaggressions towards Asian people while also facing the amount of success for publishing the kind of book that she did. And I'm so well aware that this kind of narrative conflict was probably Rebecca's intention. I don't
0: know. It just felt like
2: conflicting to me.
0: I found it really interesting, actually. And I can't speak to whether or not this is a thing, but I found it interesting that June's character simultaneously fetishized Asian women. Yeah. Simultaneously hating Asian culture. Like I found that really fascinating. I also found it fascinating that sometimes I think the book told us instead of showing us, but sometimes the book showed us racism in incredibly subtle ways that I found really powerful. I really loved the passage, how we we know that June was at this, it was a Chinese social club and she was remarking on how the food was so oily it made her want to gag and vomit. It was maybe 10 pages later, June told us that she couldn't wait to drown her sorrows in the greasiest pizza and pasta she could find. And I think it was those kind of juxtapositions that were more subtle that made me just think this was such a brilliant display of what subtle racism can look like.
2: Maybe that is why the book is so beautiful, the conflicting parts in, like, every human. Because June is profiting off this culture that she's not a part of. But then on the other hand, deep down, she has all of these feelings that... Oh, I don't know. It's compli- yeah, it's, it's complicated. so complicated. And these
1: characters are really complicated. Like, they all are. I think the thing that I really enjoyed reading from June was kind of nailed down in this passage from The Guardian, who said, Juniper stakes her entire sense of self on the fallacy that she wrote Athena's novel yet also privately exalts when critics find fault with it. And I loved this so much in her character where when the book was doing well, she would say, well, I obviously made this book what it is. And when people hated it, she would say, of course, Athena's such a hack, like that word hack. I was also kind of obsessed with the narrative about Athena quote-unquote, stealing stories from other people. You know, that anecdote Mm. where she's in the museum and asking a war vet, I think it was, about their experience and then writing it up as a story. And then this line from June who said, I'd seen Athena steal before. She probably didn't even think of it as theft. And it's like you can see this person and hear this person making sense of their own robbery mm. by accusing somebody else of robbery and saying they probably don't even realize it. Yeah. That's probably not how they define it, but I define all of this stuff in the same basket. Yeah. yeah, like she's
2: extracting herself from reality. It's amazing. On Athena, it's interesting because Rebecca told Interview Mag that she thinks Athena is like the worst person on the planet. She said, really? "Athena is a bad person. Athena is my worst nightmare. She's all the things I hope will never be true of my self. And it's because she's learned very early on in her career that she can get a lot of attention by telling a particular kind of story, which is the story of Asian pain. So she has benefited immensely from acting as a cultural broker, depicting Chinese American stories in a certain way to maximize the attention and interest she gets from it. She is also deeply suspicious of all other Asian creatives. So that's from Rebecca on Athena, which is fascinating.
0: Did you like Athena when you read it?
2: I thought that the negative perception i had of athena was simply because june was an unreliable narrator and obviously despised athena but i guess the intention behind the writing of the character was that june's perception of athena was true in that like athena didn't want to help other asian writers or didn't want to mentor other asian writers i guess that does check out i have a few thoughts on this but i'm gonna take us to our break first (laughs) (laughs)
0: Zara, the listeners know how much we love giving book recommendations and reviewing books, which is why we are thrilled to be partnering with today's sponsor, Audible.
1: Yeah, Audible is my go-to app when I want to listen to an audiobook. There is such an incredible range of genres in their library and it's so easy to find something you love.
0: Recently, I was exploring the catalogue and I came across a wreck the listeners will love. It's Gem, G-E-M, by the Imperfect's Hugh Van Kylenberg. It came out earlier this year. It's actually the audio of a talk he gave and it takes you through the life lessons he was learned after a trip abroad. I
1: have seen this on my Audible app. I also love the fact that it is obviously narrated by Hugh himself, which does make listening to his story so much more impactful.
0: I know exactly what you mean. Audiobooks allow authors to really connect with their listeners. I really enjoy listening to people tell their own story and have loved listening to my fair share of memoirs on Audible.
1: If memoirs aren't your thing, you can check out fictional audiobooks, podcasts and Audible originals. Just download the Audible app and start listening today.
0: Thank you so much to Audible for making this episode of The Shameless Book Club possible.
1: All right, so now I've uh, sort of segued myself. Um, I am fascinated by that quote. And I do wonder if parts of it from Rebecca is really trying to separate herself from Athena very, very clearly to the media, because I think it's very easy for people to draw parallels between Rebecca and Athena, particularly given Athena's this character that found such insane success in her 20s. It's very, very easy for people to say, ah, she's sort of writing from her own experience. And so she does want to make that distinction very, very clear and probably wrote a really exaggerated character Mm. in Athena. I agree with you, Annabelle, though, in that when I was sort of considering Athena, I thought that Athena was only a bad person from June's perspective, like June was saying all this about Athena to kind of justify what she's done. And in my heart of hearts, it always assumed that Athena probably would have been a good person deep down that... June was just trying to sling mud but reading that makes me think yeah you're right she probably was that which makes it even more complicated.
0: And I guess Rebecca did include the examples in the book of other Asian creatives or even other Asian women online critiquing Athena's work but as a white woman honestly as a white woman I didn't know what to make of that it Mm. felt like an area that I simply don't have lived experience in or anything to comment on so I didn't know what to make of that
2: i guess the point is that everything's murky
0: but yeah. there's the passage where athena's ex
2: is telling june that athena had been really snarky about june and that was like the moment that was like at the end of the book that i clued into yeah. the fact that maybe
1: i thought jeffrey was just being a dick <laughs> yeah and i could imagine someone like him making that up to make her feel like shit yeah so i was like i mean i just didn't trust him anyway I did like though how Athena was created through the eyes of everyone else because even despite all the things that we're saying where it's like wow she was so complicated and what do I believe I still had this clear picture of her and I don't know if that's like a big like paradox but I could see her I could actually Mm -hmm. visualize her in my
0: mind I could visualize her mother actually as well and I really desperately wanted Athena's mother's to like even though her mother knew the notebooks would contain some really tricky material to digest I wanted her to open them and see. The deceit for what it was. Yeah. And I felt really deeply for Athena's mum in particular, even though she was barely in the book. Can we talk really quickly about Candace before we move on to strengths and weaknesses? Absolutely. Candace was such an interesting one for me. Again, I think another really layered character where it's really hard to make sense of everything. I definitely felt a lot for Candace on page 75 when Juniper sent that wild email to her editor this was actually about the one star review oh. left on Goodreads. can i read you this passage because i actually think this was really beautifully set up for the rest of the book fingers trembling i screenshot the rating and send it to my editor Hey, Daniella, I know you said not to look at Goodreads, but a friend sent me this and I'm a bit concerned. It seems like a pretty large lapse in professionalism. I guess technically Candace has the right to review my work however she likes in her off time. But after what happens with the sensitivity read, this feels intentional. Dot, 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 best June. Daniella gets back to me first thing in the morning. Thank you for letting me know that is quite unprofessional. We will handle this internally. Fast forward a couple of paragraphs and it reads, I bask for a moment, imagining what kind of chaos I've sown at Eden's office this morning. And though I would never say this out loud about a fellow woman, the industry is tough enough as it is. (laughs) I hope I got that bitch fired. I had that written down as well. (laughs) I hope I got that bitch fired. Like... Is so
1: hilariously evil. Yeah. Especially with the, oh, I know the industry is so hard for women. (laughs) I (laughs) would never do this to another woman. (laughs) This is
2: the stuff I meant, though. That's just so obvious. And going back to the sensitivity read thing, it just baffles me that the only, I'm assuming, person of color in that team, in Candace Lee, was saying, hey, guys, I think this needs a sensitivity read. And the entire team was like, nah. I think I believe it more when you consider
1: the power dynamics of publishing houses and star authors. Yeah. And I don't think this dynamic would be the same for every author publishing house dynamic. But if they feel like they're on a good wicket and this could be the book of the moment, I reckon the author would suddenly have fuckloads of power and everyone would be like, just keep them happy, keep them happy. We need to take this book to print. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, though, in 2023, I still think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. But I also still think there is something to be said about powerful white people in these kinds of industries who are saying, OK, just like shut this down, whatever it takes to get it out there.
2: In a similar vein, I found it unbelievable that June changed her name for the book to Juniper Song. And no one thought, hey, this is going to look weird. People might be able to do a quick Google search and see that your name is actually very white. Well, it wasn't
0: even just, hey, this might look weird. They told her to do it. It was the PR team that said, hey, we can't publish this as Juniper Hayward. And in this day and age, though, that sounds like it would never happen. It's pretty diabolical. But even then, maybe with this book, I flew through it and I enjoyed it so much. I don't care if it's that believable. Like I enjoyed the experience of it so much. I think there is a level of like outrageousness to this book.
1: Yes. For sure. Can I talk about some strengths and weaknesses? Are we there? Yeah, we're there. Are we
0: there? there I don't know
1: where we are. I mean, I have so many strengths. There was one part in the book, and I wish I wrote down the page number to read you the passage, but I can paraphrase it for you, where it's before the book has been published and June is saying, shouldn't all this hype signal something? She had reviews in like all these different places that it had been listed for all these things before it had been published and she made this comment to be like wow it really feels like a book has been chosen before it's published about whether it's going to do well like we just all decide collectively what book is the book of the moment Mm. and then we all follow suit and I was like how funny that that's how I feel about yeah yeah yeah, that I felt very much that about this book and it felt so meta
2: and there were lots of meta elements of this book that I really love super super smart and I feel bad because I've said so many weaknesses throughout this episode like you haven't though but honestly." the main crux of this experience that I took away was that I really enjoyed it I thought there was great beauty in the fact that this book was designed to make oddly beauty to make readers uncomfortable Mm. like at every turn the suspense lay in the fact that June is a horrible person and we all knew she was horrible and we were kind of like waiting for her to do something else like when will she be exposed even Yeah. yeah and I thought that was Really well done. And also, the writing was so easy to read. It was a very quick reading experience.
0: On the back of that, Annabelle, I agree. The biggest strength of this book was its ability to make me squirm and make me care about what the fuck was going to happen. Like, I literally was reading this being like, how is this going to play? One scene that made me squirm in particular was when June was going to the Chinese social club to give a talk (sighs) to a group of, it sounded like elderly, mostly older Chinese people. And Susan Lee, one of the leaders of the club, picked her up at the station and their conversation where Susan slowly realized she's not Chinese and she's not Asian at all. And she's just picked the middle name Song to now be her last name was so uncomfortable, but also such a masterpiece in writing. In particular, I liked this internal monologue from June. I'm not fooling anyone on purpose. I don't have a big sign that says white stamped to my forehead. But shouldn't the onus be on <laughs> other people not to presume? Isn't it racist, in a sense, oh. <laughs> to assume my race based on my last name? It's like, babe, that's you, not your last name. And that, that's why you changed it. Also, for someone who is so
2: well read, you cannot pull the
1: reverse <laughs> racism card. No, that's, that's a good point and that probably speaks to all the points you've been trying yeah, to say before exactly. that. I mean... One of the best parts of this book, one of my favourite parts, was when we were like 200 pages in and June had got all this backlash but it hadn't destroyed her career, everything had seemed to settle down and then you open up to Chapter 15 (laughs) and she goes, I should have left things there. (laughs) (laughs) And then she goes... The discourse has finally blown over, just as Brett had promised. I no longer need to mute my notifications for fear they'll crash my phone. I am no longer Twitter's main character, but that is precisely the problem. I am now trending toward irrelevance. Mm. And I was like, you've got to be joking me, June. <laughs> like, You've actually got to be June, joking June, June, June. And then a few pages <laughs> later, I honestly think my jaw dropped where she goes, it's the start of another chapter. Like I thought this was really masterful as well regarding what Rebecca would close chapters with and what she would open them with. And then you just open a chapter and it goes, I must confess, I double dipped.
2: (laughs) (laughs) We should have been able to predict that she'd do this, but it was just a train wreck (laughs) waiting to happen. Totally. I have one weakness that actually isn't mine. I actually didn't pick up on this. I read it and I was just wondering what you guys thought. A lot of people were saying that this book maybe won't age well in the sense that there were so many modern references. Too zeitgeisty. Yes, like TikTok stuff, for example. I did think
0: this as I read it. I wondered if it was too zeitgeisty to to sing to people in the same way in 10 years.
2: And like thinking back, there were a lot of really fresh current references to also like young actors, Mm -hmm. like a Timmy Chalamet maybe. I could have pulled that out of the way. Timmy Chalamet. That was
0: actually another really expert example of casual racism. She gave an example. I can't remember the white actress's name, but she's like, I would be played by Emily Blunt, for example. Athena would be played by that girl from Crazy Rich Asians. So I'm like, that's another really good example now that you raise it. But I agree. Everything was very current and I love that for me now. I don't know if other people will love it for them in 10 years. We'll check back
2: in in 50 years and do yeah. another episode with the three of us. We'll be back. What happened? <laughs> yeah. Were you guys like predicting near the end who was the person that was like kind of harassing June online? Yes,
1: but it was driving me insane. I thought it was Athena's mom. Oh, that would have been amazing. <laughs> <The> Athena's <laughs> mom was such a sweet oh, no. I do have to say, and I think this was the one weakness for me, is how that storyline was kind of tied up. Oh. I... I felt it was too easy that someone as random as Candace could just like get into Athena's account. Yes. What PR person is giving away the login details of, of a, a, star, author of a star author's account? Like yeah. who's, who's passed away, who's really high profile. That is literally never happening. And I was like, it just doesn't make any sense that it was Candace. It does make sense to me that Candace would want to
0: bring her down mm-hmm. but did it have to be through athena's account this could have been so i know that i come to these episodes with like the edits that i would make it could have just been a random account it didn't need to be athena's blue tick official account that was trolling her this could have just been a burner account set up that was photoshopping pictures of athena and tagging juniper i felt like that step that she was in the official but don't you account think that's too much repetition because that's what happened earlier in the book but like also, the and mechanics are being like, anyway, so she's hidden this from her millions of followers or hundreds of thousands of followers and I'm the only one who can see the post. I'm like, I just, I don't know. There's a couple of things here I don't believe. And I didn't believe that Candace would go to the lengths of meeting on the steps in the middle of the night. <laughs> and was she actually playing audio from Athena in that setting or was she tweaking her voice to sound like Athena and she reeked the place with cameras and it was this 360 production thing and she was so confrontational That for me, I was like, God, the setup to this was beautiful in the Photoshopped images was haunting. The fact that these captions and images were going out, although I didn't believe the account they were coming out from, I loved that. I found it eerie. It haunted me to the point where I needed Mitch to come sit in the room beside me because I believed there was a ghost at one point. I respect too. I thought we were going to go supernatural. But then when it came to the resolution and... Juniper ended up in hospital with all these broken limbs and bruising and all this stuff. I was like, I think it's lost me. I don't believe this at all. I was kind
2: of thinking that near the end, June was mentally going through it maybe she was like hallucinating some parts yeah because of her guilt so with the voice thing I was like maybe Candace was putting on a voice but because June was feeling so guilty she was also her mind was warping it a little but then I got confused at the very beginning when she said she saw Athena at the very first book reading maybe she was feeling guilty from the very start I don't
1: know yeah I kind of understood what Rebecca was doing and that I thought that it was just to show that she was losing grip on reality, like really losing grip on reality. But I still didn't, I couldn't see that scene and I really wanted to be able to see it. Mm. I kind of held two conflicting thoughts, which was, oh, yeah, maybe this is just June losing grip on reality, but then also, wait, I'm confused is it Athena's voice like I'm just confused also Mm. and again maybe that's the point maybe I'm the idiot (laughs) um but it felt it felt like a strange climax scene but then again to my point earlier this book is kind of outrageous maybe that scene needed to be outrageous like maybe that's just in line with the whole book
0: I felt like the ending though the very ending I didn't like this bit right before the ending but the ending of Juniper essentially coming to the conclusion that she's going to manipulate this story again to be in her favor and she's going to eventually tell the story of winding up in hospital and being assaulted by Candace and she will eventually come out on top essentially because she's a white woman and she'll be believed I felt that was expertly done that was enough drama for me I didn't need the confrontation on the stairs and the the sounds playing in the cameras I also thought when I was thinking about the
1: ending when it came to June writing that book and her saying this will work I was reading it and I was like yeah It probably will. People will still hate you, but you'll still get the platform. Yeah. Like people will give you this platform. People will interview you
0: about this and people will talk about you. And at the end of the day, it feels like that's what June wanted. And people will be the devil's advocate and advocate for you. And eventually you will rise up on top for a group of people.
2: And she'll be rolling in money.
1: Rolling in money, which is also something that she seemed to really want. Sorry, I know I'm going back a little bit. There's one kind of key part of this book that we haven't touched on that I would really love to touch on as well, because I thought this was a really, really powerful inclusion in the book. And it was when June is telling the story of her sexual assault and how she believes Athena stole that story and wrote an entire essay about it that... I was really taken off guard by, and I felt like I was taken off guard quite a few times in this book. But I honestly thought that was like the real perfect example of like, wow, this is like deeply complicated and deeply layered, And in no way does this even come close to excusing what June has done. But in my mind, it made more sense. And June made more sense as a character to me as to why she'd be so one-eyed mm. about this and why she'd feel so justified mm. in her theft because she felt like she'd been stolen
2: from first. Yeah, and why her hatred for Athena was so, like, red hot. Yeah. It all so a very deep. personal place. Mm. That said, I was a bit like, at what point do writers, like, have to draw the line? Because, like... Yeah, I agree. Athena should be with Jeffrey. I'm thinking of that example when Jeff was like, oh, she's written about, like, our relationship and all and of that. And our arguments. And our arguments. Yeah. And I'm like, where's the line? It's hard. I guess it's really hard. There is no answer. And
0: I don't, I think that's why I didn't dislike Athena. Like, I knew she was complicated. I think the, the heartland of this book is exploring how people are complicated and flawed. But I I left definitely on more team Athena than almost anyone else. So if this kind of makes you feel better, there was a quote from Rebecca
1: in Interview Magazine about this. And she said, I think the question of a writer's relationship to pain, especially other people's pain, is at the heart of this book and is also an ethical dilemma that I haven't figured out because so much of my work comes from the pain of people who are very close to me. Yeah. And I thought, yeah, I don't think it's something that we need a neat answer on. I just think it's one of those like deeply complicated things that I
0: think a lot of people spend a lot of time thinking about. And the yeah. whole point is to think about it because there yeah. would be some writers who don't think about it at all.
2: And like we don't live in this world in a vacuum just on our own. Like we do experience interactions with other people. Well,
1: it's like any of us, whenever we have like the three of us at this table have shared stories either on a microphone or in a newsletter or in a book, you can't just tell your own story like you are pulling other people in and that dilemma as a as a part of this book really did make me think it's like you've got to pull people in to tell your story but that's you are often pulling on people's pain
2: and yeah. almost
0: every story under the sun is partly shared at least mm. I struggle to think of a story that any one individual owns without it being other people's story as well
2: yeah it's a tricky way up but there's no formula guys it's time for ratings oh. <gasps> I'm gonna throw it to Zara because you were the one that brought this to us Nice this book to us I'll What's give it pressure? a five. A five
1: i really really liked this book i read it so fast it made me think so much and i truly don't think there are many books on this earth that you can fly through that also leaves you thinking about so much the the last book that i feel like did this was love and virtue by diana reed that was like really really pacey but also you finish and you're like whoa i've got so much to think about Mm -hmm. it's a certain brand of book and i feel
0: like they are expertly done michelle rating I adored this inhaled it in two sittings I didn't think the writing was snobby at all it wasn't patronizing it was just smart and easy to read and a joy to work through I do think there were some weaknesses in the plot as I said but it didn't really detract from my overall experience of this book I think it has to be a 4.5 I think it is a wonderful wonderful book I want to actually go back and read R.F. Kwong's previous work you're so right in
2: that the book is written in a way and it is a skill that not a lot of authors perfect so easy to read yet so smart yeah. I will say that I ha- I was pulled out of it a little cuz I kept thinking of Rebecca writing June you know all that stuff that I've mentioned before <laughs> yeah. so I will give it a four
0: nice Love. I mean pretty good result for this book yeah guys come share your thoughts on our Instagram channel we are at the shameless book club next month we put it to you to vote over on our Instagram stories what book we are reading in the month of August you picked the Rachel incident by Caroline O'Donoghue for the unacquainted Rachel is a student working at a bookstore. Store where she meets James and it's love at first sight. Effervescent and insistently heterosexual, James soon invites Rachel to be his roommate and the two begin a friendship that changes the course of their lives forever. When Rachel falls in love with her married professor, James helps her devise a reading at their local bookstore with the goal that she might seduce him afterwards but her professor has other desires. So begins a series of secrets and compromises that intertwine the fates of James, Rachel, and Professor Fred Byrne, as well as his glamorous, well-connected wife. Aching with unrequited love, shot through with delicious, sparkling humour, The Rachel Incident is a triumph. We cannot wait to read that alongside you. Make sure you pick it up. It is everywhere on social media right now. It is definitely the trending book of the moment and we can't wait. Guys, that's it. We'll be back in your ears next month with The Review, but also keep your eye out for Stranger Than Fiction. That will drop on the 15th. Can't wait. Bye. Bye.